0: We're in the last part of our series, Aotearoa, Aotearoa, and the whole series is looking back to move forward, looking at our past and choosing the very best for our future today. And uh, I love this series, and I've learned so much on this journey uh, with God, and and today I want to talk about peacemaker, right? We all know those peacemakers in our families. Uh, If you've ever had, you guys have family meetings, or if you've had family meetings like my family meetings, uh, you need peacemakers, Especially like if you're part of an island family and it's about sending money to the islands. <laughs> and then you're looking at other family members. They haven't contributed or things like that. And uh, that happens quite a lot. And, uh, and, you know, we know those peacemakers. Or maybe in your workplaces, there's that peacemaker that brings peace. Uh, I, I remember one time me and Portal, we left home. It was at night. It was eight, 8 o'clock. We drove around the corner from my house. And there's a mobile station on the main road. And there's these, these four guys beating up this other guy. And they're stomping him. Like Lena, you know, you know these four guys are just stomping this guy on the ground. And Porter's like, pull over. She pulls over. She swings open the door. She jumps out of the car. And she goes, oi, get off him. And then they, these guys, they look at it, They get up and they start walking away like this. So I'm coming out of the car, seeing if this dude's okay. And she's like yelling at them, where are you going? And I was like, hey, hey, take it easy. Take it, uh, I know you're very confident, but I'm not confident. You may, I'm really confident in you, but I'm not confident in me. So let's just focus on this person, right? And um, yeah, you know how people have uh, uh, fight or flight, or puddle is not flight. Let me tell you that, you know, I might be flight, but she's not. And when you're, yeah, I just listen to my wife and pull over and here we go. Uh, have you ever had to make peace before? You know, it's easy. We're like, yeah, I think it's a good thing. But when you're in a situation, it's not easy. As it, sounds, it can be very difficult. Have you ever had to be physically between two people fighting? It's not easy. It's not easy, especially when fists are flying, you know. You're like, oh my gosh, but you're in there pulling them apart. There's a better way. There's a better way. And so today I want to talk about Peacemaker. And in chapter 5 of Matthew, when you, it's, this, it's what's called the Sermon of the Mountain. It goes to th- three chapters. It's the ethics of heaven. If you want to know what the ethics of heaven is, if you want to know what the ethics of, of a Jesus follower, what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? Read the f- three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5, 6, and 7. Read that chapter. It's the ethics of heaven. And today I want to magnify on one of the ethics of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now when... When Jesus was saying this, he's saying this to the Israelites, the Jewish people in their time. They've been under occupation for 100 years. Brutal occupation. The Romans have come in. And it's been brutal. It's been violent. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. See those guys there? You need to make peace. Oh, that's a bit of a challenge. I mean, when, we, when we look at that situation, how, how do I make peace when I'm not in control? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So peace means reconciliation. And God is the author of peace and reconciliation. Which means when we seek reconciliation and peace, then we are operating in the authority of God. When you seek reconciliation and peace, you are operating in the authority of God. Which is why Jesus says those blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Maybe maybe you've got a grudge with someone and i've been sharing about that lately and and, and because they've wronged you and it's their fault and, and of course it's their fault right because that's what you're thinking we think that all the time and and what are they thinking they're thinking it's your fault right and and, and so the, the what's really interesting is that the bible doesn't mention about who's right or wrong but what it does say is go and reconcile whether you're right or wrong go and reconcile because reconciliation is necessary blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god does anybody read the New Zealand Herald? Yeah. yeah, I used to read the New Zealand Herald online until everything I was trying to read, you had to pay for it. So now I'm just stuff NZ. You know, this, this, it's a bit of my, the Scottish that's inside of me. Uh, nothing gets any Scottish people. My great-great-grandmother was born in Glasgow. So that's my, my thing. You know, freedom. Anyway. <laughs> those, the, the, those, if you're younger, you, go, you have no idea what the movie reference is. This is old movie back in the old days. It was, it was made uh, in the 1900s <laughs> called Braveheart. <laughs> and so, so in, in 1863, on November the 13th, the first ever edition of the New Zealand Herald was published. And when it came to announcing New Zealander of the Year, now when, when, when you announce New Zealander of the Year, you think Peacemaker has a big part of it. Right? So when they came to announce New Zealander of the Year, they chose Governor George Gray. Governor George Gray, the central figure in establishing British authority over this land. In fact, the newspaper, they praised Gray for, for attempting to preserve peace during the New Zealand wars. And if you're here and you're, you're familiar New Zealand wars? Yeah, that's right. There was, there, was, there was a war. War took place on this land. And they praise Governor Gray and they said, this guy, he's a man of peace. He's trying to preserve peace during the New Zealand War. So, so how did the New Zealand War begin and, and how did Governor Gray preserve the peace? Well, let's, let's go back to 19, 18, 1861. In 1861, more settlers are arriving in Aotearoa. And what do settlers want? They want land, Obviously. Now, the land of Waikato was beautiful, expertly farmed, and, and, and Māori, they were supplying food to the bustling metropolis of Auckland. You know, they're supplying all this food, and, and by 1853, there was 18 mills working, and, they, and all this land was going on, it was beautiful. So in 1861, the, the New Zealand government, they visit Māori and the Waikato, and what do they want? They want land, but Māori and the Waikato was like, we're not going to give you any of our land. We're not saving any more of our land because, can you see, we're using the land. And uh, we're using it really well. So, what was Governor George Gray's response? In fact, what he does, and this is how the New Zealand War begins. He makes an ultimatum with the Maori of Waikato. This is what he says. He says, retain your land only as long as you're strong enough to keep it. Retain your land only as long as you're strong enough to keep it. Wow, what a statement of peace. Oh my goodness, definitely New Zealander of the Year material, right? So he assembles an army, and by 1864, there's 12,000 troops in Auckland. There's more troops in Auckland than there is in all of Britain. And the first thing these 12,000 troops do is they build what's known as the Great South Road, from Auckland to Waikato, and they're not building this road so we have easy access so or one day we'll have this motorway that, that will bypass it. So they're building it so they can get their cannons from Auckland to Huntley. Right? They're building this, 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 this road. So if you travel down the Great South Road in and in, Manurewa, in uh, Papakura, in, in South Auckland, all the way to Otahu uh, and then coming down the motorway, know that the road that you're travelling on was built get cannons down here really quickly. And so, and so he, he's establishing an army. So, What's the Maori response? What's the Maori response to this? In fact, the Maori response comes from Wurumu Tamihana. Wurumu Tamihana. Comes from Wurumu Tamihana. This is who the New Zealand Herald of 1863, this is what they write about him. In 1863, this is what they, this is in quoted. They call him, he is known for his well-known treachery. So according to New Zealand Herald of uh, of, of 1863, they talk about his well-known treachery and the government will label him A rebel. So who is Wurumu Tamihana? Wurumu Tamihana Tarepepepe Te Waharoa. Come on, let's all say that together. (laughs) Wurumu Tamihana uh, Tarepepepe Te Waharoa was born around 1805, and he was the paramount chief of Ngāti Hoa. When the missionaries arrived to his village, it would take him only six months to learn to read and write in his own language. And last week I spoke about Taurore. Did you know that Wurumu Tamihana was there? He places himself in the scene in the village when Ngā Kuku carries his slain daughter, Tarore, back to the village. If you missed that message, encourage you to go back and listen to that. He's there and Ngā Kuku calls out peace. You can imagine that Wurumu Tamihana would have been one of those warriors wanting to see that, but he writes that his karakia, his transformation happened at that time. He writes, it and he writes in his letters. It happens. He's transformed. This warrior is transformed. The power of Jesus transforms this warrior into a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So much written. So much. When you read history's letters or writings of Urimutamiana, it's incredible. There's so much written of his, the qualities of his intellect, his leadership, his courage, his eloquence. His diplomacy, in fact, his leadership and his efforts to abide by the ethics of heaven, to abide by the ethics of Jesus, prevented many battles amongst Maori iwi and tribes. He was right there in the middle. In fact, he was known as the peacemaker. Incredible, incredible, incredible what he did. Um, He was well-respected. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. In fact, it was Tamihana who would form the Maori King Movement, the Kingitanga. He had a vision that the Maori king movement and the Pakiā government will work together under the queen to bring peace amongst this land, to share this land. What an incredible vision that he had for this land, to share this land together, that we can, we can work together. We can share this land. This is the vision that he had for this land. In fact, Murumu Tamihana will spend two years going up and down the country um, championing the Kingitanga movement. And he, no, he was so successful, he, he unites all the tribes and he brings peace this is quite incredible, of because you got to understand, you know, um, when we think about Atupuna, Tupuna. We're warring people, tribes all the way back to the Cook Islands, all the right through the Pacific. We're, we're warring tribes. We're, you know, and brings peace, unites them all, unites them all. In fact, in fact, this is what in his writings, this is what tamiana declares in his writings. He said, "We are all Christian." This is his writing. This is his words, not mine. This is not the Church Mission society's writing. This is tamiana's writings. We are all Christian, 100%. This is what he writes. So, Wurumu Tamihana takes a key role in the coronation of the first Maori king, uh, King Porto Te He places the Bible over his head, indicating that your crown will not be made of gold, but upon the word of God. In fact, this still happens today. The incoming monarch, the descendants of Wurumu Tamihana, will hold his Bible over the king's head, Indicating that the kingitanga will be founded upon the word of God. Pakeha will give Wurumu a new title. He'll be called the kingmaker. The kingmaker. So Wurumu Tomihana, the kingmaker. He stands to respond to the New Zealand governor. The New Zealander of the year. Now if you were faced with 12,000 soldiers with this ultimatum. Retain your land only as long as you're strong enough to keep it. How would you respond? How would you respond? Wouldn't we tell me? Anna chooses to lead from Ephesians chapter two, verse thirteen. And he says this: "But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one." And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He responds with scripture. When the Apostle Paul, when he when he wrote this, when he wrote the book of uh, uh, to the church in Ephesus, there's racial tension between the the Jewish followers of uh, of of Jesus and the non-Jewish followers of Jesus. There's tension going on, and and Paul saying, "We are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. Bring down the barrier of racial tension." For we are one people, because it is Christ who connects us. It is Christ who connects us. So, wouldn't we tell me? Anna? He's trying to stop a war with this peace, with this ethic of heaven, with this ethic of Jesus. And this is his writing. He says, my only connection with you is through Christ. He's writing the governor, George Gray. Governor, my connection to you is through Christ. This is a radical sharing of identity. For Pakistan and Māori to keep breaking down the dividing walls. That Christ unites us, one people under one God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So, what do we tell me, Hana? This, peace this peacemaker labeled a rebel. You know, there's another peacemaker that was labeled a rebel, they crucified him. See, the moment Jesus died on the cross, Mark chapter 15 tells us, when, when the moment Jesus breathes his last breath, that the, that the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom, torn apart. Now, to understand the temple, the, the temple is divided in three parts. there's the common area, for, and then there's the, the holy place where the priests go in, and then there's the holy of holies where the presence of God is. And what separates God's presence from everyone else is this thick curtain. Is this thick curtain. And the moment Jesus dies, the curtain is torn in two, representing that Jesus has made a way for us to God. The barrier has been torn. We who were separated from God can now come boldly before his throne because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's Mark chapter 15. See, Jesus was willing to die, to bring down the barrier that separates us. I, I, I wonder I wonder what you're willing to do to bring down the barrier that separates you from someone else. I wonder what you're willing to do to bring down the barrier that separates you from your wife, that separates you from your husband, that separates you from your children, that separates you from your parents or, or your coworker. See, peace is not the absence of power. Peace is the presence of love. See, when we magnify love, we magnify peace. So let me ask you something. What are you magnifying right now? You have issues in your relationship? Just keep magnifying that issue. And all you see is the issue. What's the, when you've got a magnifying glass, it makes little object, objects bigger than what they are. What are you magnifying? So you, we only have to go to social media to see the hate and anger that is on there. We see that people are magnifying Fighting fear, they're, they're, they're magnifying distrust and hate, and magnifying anger. What you magnify, you get more of. What you magnify, you get more of. You, you, if we magnify the faults of one another, then that's all we see. We, all we see is their fault, and we're magnifying it. We forget about all the good things that they've done. That they've done. What you magnify, you get more of. Bring down those walls that separate us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Maybe if Governor George Gregg magnified love instead of pride, he would never have invaded Waikato, because that's what happened. They invaded and took the land. Maybe if Governor Gray magnified love, the love of Urumu Tamihana, maybe peace would have reigned to share this land. In 1995, the Crown apologised for the invasion of Waikato and the confiscation of 3.25 million acres of the most fertile land of Waikato in the Taranaki district. The Crown acknowledged that the fault lay with its representative. Who was that? New Zealand of the year, Governor George Gray, and not the King Movement. You know the New Zealand Herald, when it came to celebrating its 150th anniversary in 2013? This is what it posts in a special paper. It was looking back over its 150 years. And so they write this article in that special paper. This is what they say. From the perspective of the 21st century, therefore, it is impossible to accept the original choice of Grey as New Zealander of the Year. Well, really? <laughs> Instead, we chose Wurumu Tamihana, more commonly known in the Pakeha press as William Thompson, a Ngātihoa chief who more truly, truly than Grey was peacemaker, caught up in a war not of his own making. With hindsight then, Wurumu Tamihana Tarapipipi Te Waharoa is the New Zealander of the Year for 1863. Isn't that good? Come on, give them, give them a hand. Give, give New Zealand Herald a hand. Honestly, they're so good. In fact, the Herald will go on to name William and Tommy Hunter in the top ten of the greatest New Zealanders of the last 150 years. That list includes Kate Shepherd, Ernest Rutherford, Apirana Ngata, Catherine Mansfield, Gene Batten, Michael Joseph Savage, Fina Cooper, Ed Hillary, and of course, one of the greatest New Zealanders of all time for his amazing achievement, Richie McCaw. <laughs> Of course. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You know, when, when I talk about this topic, I've had people approach me after a uh, message like this, and they're like, I feel so guilty for what I've done. I feel like I have to say sorry and apologize. Especially if you're Pakia, you feel like, oh my gosh. When you feel like you have to apologize for something that, that someone else has done within your within your culture or whatever it is within your family, that is called collective guilt. Collective guilt. Collective guilt is when you are responsible for the actions of the collective. Could I just say that according to the Bible, you are not responsible for something that you never did. You never did that. According to the Bible, you're not responsible for that. You're not responsible for what someone has done in the past, you got to understand something about my history. See, my mom's family—they arrived on the ship called *In New Zealand* back in the 18, oh, in the 1970s. But my dad's family—they arrived on a ship called *The Saint Leonard* back in the in the late 1800s, and they were the benefactors of the of the invasion because they settled Ngāruawāhi and Topi. My ancestors are buried in the cemeteries just up the road here. They were the benefactors. In fact. One of my relations fought in the New Zealand War and he got land in Hamilton East as part of this compensation. So that's my history. My mum's family came in the 1970s. In fact, 800 years ago, Takutumu sailed here. So there's a bit of a collision of my ancestries on this land. But according to Scripture, you are not responsible for something that you never did. You are only responsible for what you've done. In fact, the sins of the Father, we spoke about this many times and even, even this year. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 unpacks this idea that you're not responsible for generational curses. You're responsible for what you do today. I love what Viktor Frankl wrote. If you don't know Viktor Frankl, Viktor Frankl was he was in the last concentration camp to be liberated By the Allies during World War II. He lost his whole family in the concentration camp. His mother was gassed to death. His brother was killed in the concentration camp. His dad was killed in the concentration camp. His wife was killed in the concentration camp. He survived it. He alone and his whole family survived. He would go on to say this. That to, that to blame individuals based on the ancestry or nationality is as cra- a crime and a madness he said this why should i hate and to blame somebody not personally but collectively is something i strictly reject and, and he gives this speech in vienna in 1988 he's speaking to the austrian and about and he's speaking about all those German, all those uh, those families who were descended of those who put them in the concentration camp he said I, don't, I love you I don't hold you responsible and he says neither should anyone else how easy do we hold another group responsible for something that this person actually never did I remember being in Ngati Ngati Puro. I was talking to this guy and he said oh, I don't like anybody from Ngapui because you, you do you know what they did back in the 1820s during the Musket walls I was thinking, well, this person here from Napui, he didn't do that. Don't hold him responsible. How many, how many times do we hold a family responsible? They're from that family. Oh no, we don't want us to remix with that family. Or maybe if you're in Raro, takitumi, vaka takitumi, and vaka ikura. Oh, there's some tension there. And we and we and we hold each other. And we hold each other accountable. We, 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 we put blame on them because they're from that group. They're from that group. They're from there. Apostle Paul says, Christ has brought down the, wall, the dividing walls and brought us together. Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called children of God. So Father, we thank you.